Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in the ninth chapter. We're going to take a look at verses 2 through 9. So again, this is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. It says this, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Our friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. My friends, um, have you ever been so overcome by emotion, so overwhelmed by feeling in one singular moment one singular occurrence that being so overcome and so overwhelmed in that particular moment that you said or did something that you wish you could go back in time and change. It happened to me right after our daughter Caroline was born. Now, in my head, maybe because I watched too much television growing up, I envisioned our journey to the hospital for delivery being us in the middle of the night, throwing suitcases into the car, me screaming down the highway with my hazard lights flashing, wheeling into the emergency room entrance, running to the desk and shouting to the attendant, my wife is having a baby. (laughs) Ours was not like that. Heidi had gone for a regular checkup. And because her blood pressure was elevated at such a level, they decided it was in the best interest of her and our baby's health that she be induced and deliver two weeks early. So with this news, she called me at work, and I threw a few things in a bag, and I drove the required speed to the hospital. She got checked in. We settled into the room. We called our parents. And then we spent most of that day with nurses and doctors checking in every so often. 
In the down times, I made sure that the batteries in our still camera were good and made sure that our video camera was ready and otherwise tried to act like I was not anxious or nervous. Just past midnight, things started to get closer and closer, and at 1.11 a.m. on June the 12th, our daughter was born. And I was mesmerized. A new life. An absolute miracle. Heidi had given birth to the most perfect, most beautiful little girl in the world. It was unreal. My mind was both racing and completely still at the same time. I'd never seen or witnessed anything like this before. The doctor turned to me and asked if I would like to cut the umbilical cord. And I said yes, and he handed me a pair of surgical scissors. And he showed me where to cut. And then the nurse spoke up, and she said, do you have a camera? And I said, yes, I brought two of them, and I promptly cut the umbilical cord right then and there. Now, why do you think she asked if I had a camera? To take a picture so that we could have some memento of this occasion. But in my mind, I was so overwhelmed by emotion, I thought she was just making idle chit-chat. <laughs> so no, we have no picture, we have no video, we don't have anything of that moment other than the story I just told you. Had I simply listened to her, things would have been different. Which is why this morning, friends, as we start to unpack this story known as the transfiguration of Jesus, I want to focus less on what the disciples saw that day and more on what God said. You see, Jesus takes his disciples with him up a high mountain. They've been traveling with the Messiah for a while now. They have seen him go to solitary places to pray. This is not an odd detour. This is not a strange experience. This is just another day with Jesus up on another mountain. And as he makes his way through to another region, they follow as best as they can. One moment they are in the familiar presence of Jesus, and then the next moment they wonder where they are at at all. Because the familiar has suddenly become unfamiliar. They have not changed. Their surroundings have not changed. But Jesus... Jesus has changed. He shines. As they look at Jesus, they see the sun rising in a person. His garments gleam not of their own power, but of his. He is the day spring from on high that Luke tells us about in chapter 1 of his gospel. Breaking through clouds of mortal flesh. And then suddenly their solitary space is now occupied by prophets. Jesus is now surrounded by Elijah and Moses. This silence then gives way to sound as a conversation breaks out amongst those three. And the disciples realize that these men are not strangers, but they are in fact friends. It is as if time has opened the door and for a moment eternity has come in. Prophets from separate times and different places hold conversation with Jesus in his time and place. And Jesus, for a moment, shines like the dawn. My friends, have you ever had a moment like that in your life of discipleship? 
the moment when suddenly with great clarity the wonder of God breaks upon you. It may be when you first held your baby and were awestruck by God's fragile gift of life. It could be when that psalm you have read for years and years suddenly broke through to you with new meaning because it captured the turmoil of your heart. God will break through to us, friends, and overwhelm us, and we will all feel his experience in a way that we have not felt before. You can call it revival, you can call it being born again, call it whatever you want to. And I pray that everybody here has had such an experience. And if you have not, just wait. Because it's coming. And here's why I say this with confidence. The transfiguration, friends, captures for us a promise. It is God's promise of being there in life with us through Jesus. In a moment, his presence can change everything. And we are struck by the wonder of God. We just have to be humble enough and willing enough to wait and accept it. Sunrises, however, do not last forever. One of the more amazing things about living in this area of the greatest state in the Union are the sunrises that we get to experience. One second, the sky is brilliant with color. And then the next second, it is faded to a muted shade of blue that we all love and enjoy. As the disciples here stare in wonder, a cloud comes and overshadows everything. The brilliant vision disappears into obscurity, and when that happens, a voice speaks with crystal clarity. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Not look at him. Not gaze upon him. Not remember what he looked like a few moments ago. God tells them, listen to him. And here's why. What God, I think, is trying to tell us this morning is this. When our lives return to normal, when our grandiose visions fade away, when our emotions return us to our senses, when we come down off the mountaintop, when suddenly the familiar closeness of God seems distant, we are not left alone. God's voice continues to speak to us with crystal clarity. This Jesus, this is God's beloved Son. Listen to Him. This word from God, friends, shapes how you and I should respond to the transfiguration. When Peter saw the wonder of the transfiguration, he tried to prolong it. He wanted to build booths, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But Peter, friends, was wrong on two counts. First, Jesus is greater than Elijah and Moses. He's not equal to them. So there shouldn't be three booths. There really should only be one. Which begs the question, how many times in our lives do we put Jesus on equal footing? with someone or something else. Friends, we cannot serve more than one master. 
We cannot have more than one Lord of our lives. But even then, there's a problem. Because second, the transfiguration, friends, is not something that you prolong. It's here for a moment and then quickly passes away. Of course, we can try to capture the transfiguration and try to prolong it, but that will always end in frustration. Friends, God cannot be boxed into our timetable and our life plan to bring precisely the kind of help that we think we need at precisely the moment that we think we need. God is more mysterious than that. He dwells in unapproachable light. And his ways are beyond our understanding. So prolonging the experience or trying to bottle it up to bring it out just on the right occasion, friends, that's not an option. But when the wonderful experiences cease, when the visions of graciousness fade away, when the power and mercy of God seem distant, we are tempted to walk away, despondent and empty. But again, the Father's voice reminds us that Jesus is God. And not just in moments of transfiguration. Not just on the mountaintops of life. He is God in the midst of the clouded portions of our lives as well. He is God in the valleys. And even in those valleys, His voice remains with us wherever we go. And so we must live by listening to Him. The voice of God has the power to transfigure our lives, our communities, and our world so long as we continue to listen. In about six weeks or so, we'll get to Easter. And on Mount Calvary, we'll find Jesus hanging on a cross. And although the sun should be shining, it is dark in the middle of the day. It seems that all of creation is losing its light. Christ's once gleaming clothes are now part of a game of dice. Jesus is naked, his body bruised and bloody, a piece of sport to the mockers who pass by. He is joined in death, not by two prophets, but by two criminals. Their presence, however, again turns our attention to God's word. They fulfill God's prophecy because Isaiah tells us that Jesus will be numbered with the transgressors. In this place of darkness instead of light, of bloodied flesh instead of gleaming garments, of criminals instead of prophets, we again listen to God's voice. Jesus is the suffering servant who takes away our sin. His death brings life. His broken body brings healing. His word brings direction to those who have lost their way. See, friends, there's no need for us to try and prolong the transfiguration because the love which has come in Jesus is the most powerful force that there has ever been. It is transformative. It transfigures the entire world. So how do we rightfully celebrate the transfiguration? We listen to Jesus. And we understand that his words bring forgiveness and life that completely change our world if we listen to him. Today, as many of you know, is Super Bowl Sunday. And later on this afternoon, our youth group will join other youth groups at a Super Bowl party down at Manuel First Assembly. They've asked that I lead the devotion. And I'm going to stay right here. 
not in this pulpit, but in this message. <laughs> I'm going to stay right here on the need to listen to him. It's going to sound a little bit different, but I want to give you the two main points I'll make later on. First is this. Before a play is run tonight, the players in offense will gather on their side of the ball and form a circle. What's that circle called? It's a huddle. What happens in the huddle? The players are given the play to run from the playbook. They are told what to do, and then ideally they'll go do it. It does no good to hear the play and then not go out there and execute it. What's our playbook? Bible. We're told what to do within its pages, are we not? We're told what plays to run. It does us no good to listen to Jesus, but then not execute what he asks of us. This is what James means when he says, we can't be content just being hearers of the word. We got to be doers of it as well. When we break our huddles, be it private prayer or scripture, youth group, worship, whatever it is, we need to go run the play by living the lives Jesus asks us to do. Second point is this. A number of weeks ago, the Kansas City Chiefs played a regular season game against the Buffalo Bills. Late in the game, they needed a near miracle to win, and it seemed like they had gotten it when they scored a touchdown with just a minute or so left to play, except there was a penalty flag thrown which negated that play. One of their receivers had lined up offsides, which means he was not where he was supposed to be. One of the discussions that came after the game was whether or not he checked with the official to make sure he was where he was supposed to be. Seems he didn't listen to the official. Well, do we check with Jesus to make sure we're lined up correctly? Do we check with Jesus to make sure we're where we're supposed to be? Do we desire to be aligned with God's will? Do we listen to Jesus? Let me close with this. For my birthday this past week, Heidi gave me a devotion book. I want to read to you a little bit from the introduction. Because it lays out for us the danger in not listening to him. It says this, I'm like you. Familiarity causes me not to treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ like I should. As the themes of grace get more and more familiar and common, they don't capture my attention in awe as they once did. When amazing realities of the gospel quit commanding your attention, your awe, and your worship, other things in your life will capture your attention instead. When you quit celebrating grace, you begin to forget how much you need grace. And when you forget how much you need grace, you quit seeking the rescue and strength that only grace can give. This means you begin to see yourself as more righteous, strong, and wise than you actually are. And in so doing, you set yourself up for trouble. Listening to Jesus is a call to remember. It's a call to remember the horrible disaster of sin. It's a call to remember Jesus who stood in our place. It's a call to remember the righteousness that is his gift. 
It's a call to remember the transforming power of grace you and I couldn't have earned. It's a call to remember the destiny that is guaranteed to all of God's blood-purchased children. It's a call to remember His sovereignty and His glory. It's a call to remember that remembering is spiritual war. Even for this, we need grace. My dear friend, do you want to live an abundant life full of true joy and peace and love and hope, then you listen to him on the mountaintop, you listen to him in the valleys, you listen to him in the middle, the plains of life, you listen to him, you listen to him, you find your life changed, you listen to him, friends, you listen to him, and you follow In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.